Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are discussing finances because money is an area that I need regular wisdom on. I forget so easily what I've learned in this area, or I just let myself get lazy. So some of the information in this episode will be new to you, and some of it will serve as a good reminder for you, as it did for me. Today's guest is George Sanders, who is a leader at Grace Community Church and someone who exemplifies excellence in many areas, but especially in the realm of stewardship. You will hear more about why I've asked George on the podcast in a moment. So without further ado, ladies and gents, here is George Sanders. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, George, our mutual friend, Lynn Brown, who has also been a guest um, on this podcast, is the one who recommended you. And one of the things that really piqued my interest and that she told me is that you teach the financial portion of the premarital class at Grace Community Church. So (laughs) you see the money struggles that couples have. So I would love for you to think of this podcast conversation as your opportunity to speak to women before they reach that stage. How can we change habits and become more disciplined in the area of money before marriage and family? So before the questions, uh, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us where the Lord has you in your family life and ministry calling. Well, again, thank you for the invitation. It really is a pleasure to be here. I know your brother-in-law and your sister, so uh, we, we, I feel like I'm, I'm in the midst of family already. Uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, I do teach uh, the premarital class. Uh, the way that is set up is that there are three couples who uh, are part of, the, part of that, and my wife, along with the other two wives, uh, are part of the large all-women panel on the final day, and, and I teach the actual portion on finances. I've been doing that for a number of years, uh, and uh, you know, my wife and I certainly try to practice those things in our own lives. Our own lives are sort of the uh, the uh, experimental, experimental workshop for some of the ideas that I present, and so it, they're they're tried and true, and uh, and they, they've really worked well for us. Uh, the Lord has blessed us uh, financially, and that's a good thing because it's all His money. And uh, we're able to serve him with that, uh, as are all of us. We are all given talents, whether that be talents in terms of silver or gold, or whether it be talents in terms of our abilities. Uh, And we're to be good stewards. We're to be good managers because it's not ours. It's the Lord's. So we're to manage those uh, for his his glory. Uh, And in so doing, we really do layups for ourselves treasures in heaven. we, We speak about finances. And I think it's important to think of finances as something that can be used to store up treasure for us in heaven. And it's also an area in which we can demonstrate our love for the Lord and just demonstrate our, our obedience to his command for stewardship. So uh, it really is a, a lot of fun to teach the premarital group. Uh, you know, there Some of them 
in the, in the class are, are married already. Uh, some of them are uh, just uh, thinking about the topic of marriage. Some of them have dates. They're in for the wedding. They're engaged. So we really teach a, a broad band of people, if you will. But I would say it's a little bit like, a bit like going back to training camp and baseball. Uh, every single major league baseball team starts off with spring training. And in spring training, they go through the basics. Uh, they start at the bottom and they build back up. And it's the same for finances. Whether you're married or unmarried, thinking about getting married, whatever, it's good to get back to the basics because on the foundation of those basics is built everything else. And if your foundation is uncertain, uh, is unsteady, and is not sound, you're going to have problems. And it's interesting because not only do we teach the premarital class, but we also do uh, marriage counseling. How many marriages are having problems and in Certainly, finances, I wouldn't say that's the source of the problem. It's selfishness. Selfishness is the source of the problem. But that selfishness manifests itself in areas such as finances. So many people who we see, couples whom we see who are having marriage problems are having financial issues as well. So everything that we're speaking of this morning can be applied, whether it's a a lady who is uh, thinking to get married, she does get married, maybe she is married now, or maybe she's never going to be married. These principles for financial management, follow them, and you will be able to be a better steward of what the Lord is going to give you. Oh, and who knows, you know, like the parable of the talents, if you you are a, a faithful steward of what he gives you, he may very well give you more. So, uh, that's always a always a good thing. Additional responsibility. So, for our first question here, for the lady who is having a difficult time getting her spending habits under control, what are some practical steps that she should take to get that area of her life under control? That is an excellent question, and I'm going to give you a, a funny answer, and I'm going to explain it. You know. My nature of my uh, my job is I'm a plastic surgeon, and I would say for the woman who is having trouble getting her spending habits under control, she should consider plastic surgery. You say, what? By that, I mean she needs to cut up those credit cards because in the lives of people who are having problems with finances, that time and time again becomes a major issue, credit card use. Uh, you run up large debts on cards, and uh, then that just it's a, a downhill spiral from there. Um, really, at the foundation of uh, of good financial management is a budget. It's uh, actually six letters in the word, but for many, a budget is a four letter word. They don't even want to consider it. Budget is nothing more than a tool that allows you to control your finances, uh, and establishing a good budget and following it. Uh, and it takes time. I mean, there are all sorts of online sites you can go to and come up with a budget in an afternoon, but you have to refine it. I found it takes about a year before you get all those items about where you want. And then, you know, you take what your what your income is, you, you have your budget, and, and you can make things work. And then you the discipline, I mean, discipline is a matter of prayer and application of your uh, of your mind to the to the topic at hand. Follow that budget. So uh, I think you know, certainly uh, cutting up credit, credit cards is going to be part of the budget for a lot of folks. That they tend to use credit cards. They'll find that if they want something, the credit card's there and they buy it on impulse. And then they've got something that they're going to have to pay off. Maybe they can't pay it off. So 
like, you know, that's, they're charging interest. Maybe they can't even make the minimum monthly payment. And so there's additional penalties and it just becomes a, a terrible thing. There are so many lives uh, that have really financially been ruined by credit card use. You know, once you get up to a certain amount of credit card debt, it's very difficult, very difficult to get out of it. So cut up your credit cards or I think more realistically, save one if you're having problems with credit card use, save one credit card in case you need to have something for say, you know, there's a say a death in a family, you need to have a trip, pay for airfare to to go to the funeral. But I think that so, so you always have one available. But I think for many people, switching from the use of credit cards to a debit card is something that makes a lot of sense. You know, in this day and age, you can't put cash in an envelope and send it off for payment of a bill. Uh, you know, the companies don't accept that. But you can use a debit card, and I think debit cards are helpful. Uh, because basically, debit card is linked to your checking account. And if you don't have the money in the checking account, you can't charge something on your debit card. So I think a debit card is a very helpful way of doing things. Also, I think that uh, in terms of getting your spending habits under control, the concept of living beneath your means is a very important concept. I mean, when we're talking about a budget, you know, you've got this is what I'm going to have to spend my money on, and this is how much money I'm making. Uh, and I want the two of them to match exactly. Wrong. You don't. You want to live beneath your means. And first of all, emergencies come up. You might need the money for something. Hey, maybe you lose your job. Maybe you become ill. You can't work the job. So live beneath your means. That involves things like buying a pre-owned car. Uh, and that's to, that's I picked that out because uh, you know a lot of single folks are are not going to own a house, but they are going to own a car. What kind of car should you buy? Well. You know, people, some people are sort of adverse to buying something pre-owned. And I'd say this, every single one of us, when we got up this morning and got in our car, was driving a used car. <laughs> hey, we used it the day before. It, the concept is, if you buy a pre-owned car, you're going to allow yourself to avoid the significant loss in value that occurs in the first couple of years of a car's life. So you can get something, a lightly used car, for maybe 30% off of what it would have cost you had you purchased it new. So something like that, I think, is, is, is a great way to go. Also, there are all sorts of ways, like you're buying furniture. I was speaking to a, a patient the other day. She works for a large uh, liquidator firm. And they what they basically do is they, you know, they, they rent furniture to the movie studios. And when the, when that furniture is done with, they bring it back into their showrooms and they sell it. Uh, even something like that, you can all sorts of ways where you can live beneath your means. So I think that's, that's another important concept if we're speaking about bringing spending habits under control. But ultimately, it comes down to self-discipline. Discipline to establish a budget, discipline to follow the budget, Discipline to say no to impulse buying. I mean, if there's a major purchase, don't buy it on the day you go out and look at the, you know, you go out and you look at the new car. Don't buy the car that day. Discipline yourself to say, I'm not going to make any major purchase until I've had a chance to think about it, pray about it, and give it at least 24 to 48 hours. It's amazing how a little time brings things into clarity. You know, you remember those resolutions that you've made. Oh, I did resolve not to do that. Or, Hey, maybe there's another way of doing this, or maybe I listened to that podcast by Christian. I need to re-listen to that. Or look at those notes that I took. Oh yeah, there are you know, some principles there that I need to apply. So self-control and uh, 
certainly control is one of the fruits of the spirit. So I think uh, that's living a spirit-filled life is going to help you in that area of your life. Yeah, those are great points. And one tactic for myself that has worked well is not having all of my money deposited into my checking account because here I can, when I'm looking at it, it looks like this lump sum and I'm thinking, oh, I have all this extra money. I can, of course, make purchase here or there. But if you're, you know, as soon as you get your paycheck, you're putting that into savings or you're putting this to your emergency fund and you're, you know, parceling it out to the things that you're saving for, that number in your checking account will be much lower and you'll be more careful with how you're spending. So just something as simple as tweaking the visual of what you think you have. And then, like you said, the budget, planning it out, you know, that is going to be really helpful because your money has a name. Your Each dollar is going to a specific purpose. It's not just kind of left up in the air to your discretion day to day. I think, Christy, that is excellent. You know, I, I always suggest when you get your paycheck, think of it this way. Okay, I'm going to give a certain amount to the Lord. And, you know, the Lord calls upon, well, Paul, when he speaks of how we are to give, he has lots of things. But one thing that he talks about is giving purposefully, purposefully. So set aside money to give to the Lord. Also set aside money that you're going to, as you say, save. Maybe you're going to put it in a money market account. Well, at the very, when you get that paycheck, immediately split that money off, however you want to do it. Definitely do that. And then you've got the rest of your money. And, and maybe you're for going out to dine in restaurants. Maybe you're going to pay cash for that. Well, cash, part of your paycheck, put that money in an envelope and just say, okay, if I'm going to go out and to a restaurant, this is how much money I have for the next two weeks. Maybe you get your paycheck every twice a month. This is how much money you have for the next two weeks to go out to a restaurant. So when it time, comes time to go out to a restaurant, you reach in there, you take your money out. When you run out of money, uh, then you don't go out to restaurants for the for the balance of the two weeks. Uh, I think uh, just things like that, that that we're talking about. Very, very good. When you get your paycheck, give to the Lord, give to your savings, because I guarantee you, if you wait until the end of the pay period, you're probably not going to have any money left to give to the Lord and nothing left to save. So do that on the front end. That's a very good tip that you bring out. Yeah. So my next question here, and this might be a pretty broad question, so feel free to answer it however you want. What are common struggles that you see married couples have with money? And how can single women be preparing to avoid those future conflicts? Excellent question. You you might think that the primary problem married couples have with money is that they don't have enough money. And that's, that's not the truth. Because people with lots of money still have money problems. I think that they think the thing, one of the things that I find is that they have trouble agreeing on a budget. And once it's created, they have trouble following it. You know, they need to agree on a budget and then they need to follow it. Someone says, well, you know, my husband earns the money. So I'm going to, uh, he's in charge of the budget. No, because if, even if he makes out the budget, unless the wife is following the budget, it's not going to work. And I think, you know, a lot of your, your listening audience is not necessarily married. I think it really spills over into their their life at this point. They should develop discipline in their spending habits. And I think as they then go forward into marriage, 
that's going to allow them to avoid conflict. If they are disciplined, that is going to even rub off on their on their husband. There needs to be discipline. And just as we were speaking of earlier with the budget, it's not enough that one creates a budget. One has to have the discipline to follow the budget. And if you develop a budget and follow a budget while single, that is going to be a wonderful thing to bring into a marriage because it's going to help you avoid problems. And, and I think also struggles that married couples have with money. A second item is this. We are all, as in our unsafe states, selfish beings. I mean, if you look at the garden, if you looked at the fall, you look at Eve, she was selfish. She, she wanted to be like God. So she followed, followed through, uh, ate the forbidden fruit. And Adam uh, jumped right in and uh, he listened to Eve and, uh, and he did likewise. And then when God talks about what had happened, he says to the woman, you know, you're going to have pain in childbirth and your desire will be for your husband, basically saying that you're going to desire to rule over him. And then he turns around and says, but your husband is going to rule over you. So you basically have a marriage between two unbelievers as being king of the mountain. Each is trying to dominate the other. And it's the same thing that people bring into marriage as, as unsaved people. Each is going to try to dominate the other. Each is going to try to get their little thing there in terms of the money, how it's to be spent. So I think approaching money uh, as you approach everything else in marriage Prefer the other, prefer the other, the husband, the wife, the wife, the husband. And if each is living a life where they are subject to one another, you'll have far fewer problems in all aspects of marriage. Someone might say, well, wait a second. I thought the husband was supposed to lead. He is supposed to lead. But that doesn't mean that he is not to submit to the needs of the wife. He is to protect her, to provide for her. In that sense, he is submitting to her. And if you read through the uh, teachings of Paul and Peter, they're very clear about that. All believers are to live being subject to one another in that sense. And so in a marriage, it's the same way. Each husband and wife need to be subject to the other. So in matters of financial, say, spending on things, if the, if the wife prefers spending the money in this way, the husband needs to follow through with that, you know, prefer the wife, unless it's a matter of wisdom or, or sin. And the wife in the same way, the husband is preferring this. So if you have husband and wife both living a life of preference to the other, then you'll have far fewer problems in all areas of marriage, including money. No, well, that's that's a really great insight, George. Thank you for bringing it back to that humility and preferring the other. You mentioned credit cards and you said to to cut those up in your earlier statement um uh, i'm a new credit card user myself i've just kind of <laughs> shied away from congratulations that you've been able to hold off on it this long <laughs> well yeah i was raised in in a home where you know we follow the dave ramsey approach and so i've used a debit card most of my life but now realizing it's time to be more proactive in building credit in case I need to uh, buy a home or something like that down the down the line. So I'm new to this world of credit cards. So what what advice would you offer someone new to using credit cards? Yeah. Well, I think uh, just specifically credit cards, I think you have to 
keep in mind that there's nothing inherently wrong with a credit card. In fact, I have a number of credit cards that I use for different things. Like I have one credit card that allows me to accumulate airline miles. And over the years, I've built up to a certain level so that I now, when I fly, have free baggage with this particular airline. Uh, There's some things like that. I have another credit card that I use that gives me outstanding returns on the money that I spend on on things with a credit card, like two, three, four, five, six percent at times. So credit cards can be useful. They can be, uh, they can allow you to save money. But I think you, the principle I always keep in mind is I have to be able to pay off the credit card at the end of each and every month. That is just a non-negotiable. So every credit card that I have has to be paid off by the end of the month. And I think that's uh, something that you and I were, you know, that we were alluding to earlier pay your credit card off because if you don't what what are the what are the interest rates on credit credit cards if you have money that you're leaving from on um, the credit card from uh, month to month something like 19 20% that's a staggering amount of interest that you're paying and if you don't pay the minimum amount, uh, amount of the credit card you're going to end up paying even more in the way of penalties. It was interesting that you think, well, if I have a credit card and I'm just going to you know, pay it off and I'm just going to pay the amount that they suggest. You know, the only credit card, they'll say the suggested monthly payment. If you do that, it's going to take you something like 20 years to pay off the credit card. So obviously that's not the answer. Pay off your credit. If you're going to have a credit card, you have to have the discipline to pay it off each and every month which in part means that you have to have the discipline not to put anything on the credit card that you can't pay off each and every month. Also, you know, if you're new to credit cards, you're also wanting to, as you mentioned, buy a home in the future, you're going to want to establish a good credit rating. And to establish a good credit rating, you have to have, as you are alluding to, you have to have a history of credit, meaning that you've bought something, like on a credit card, maybe you bought a, a car and you have paid it off, you haven't missed payments, that sort of thing. So if you're trying to establish a good credit rating, I think you probably are familiar with, and your listeners are familiar with the topic of a of a FICO score, Fair Isaac, uh, that's what it stands for. In any event, what it amounts to is a rating, a number rating that you are given based on how you handle your credit cards, your bills, things of that type. And you can find out what your FICO score is as of right now. And you can get that for free online. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of the credit cards that people have, have a, uh, I guess one of the benefits is that you can find out what your FICO score is. So I would make sure that you know what your FICO score is. And if you're wanting to improve your FICO score, I was mentioning earlier, things like paying all the bills on time, not having too many credit cards because they will dock you if you do. Pay your credit card statement on time, not on just your bills, but your credit card statements. Also, don't carry too large a balance on your credit card. If you look at your FICO score, they'll usually have a list of things that uh, that are affecting it. They'll say, well, your, your score is low because you do this, 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 and this, and this. So make note of those things and some of those things you might be able to change. For instance, one thing that I found a couple of years ago, I noticed that my FICO score was, was not quite as high as I thought it should be. And I pay all bills on time. And you know, so I thought, well, why is that? Well, it had to do with the fact that I had too many credit cards. 
I had some credit cards that I was using in my business that were in my name as opposed to my business's name. So I changed those over and my credit card rating and uh, credit rating, my FICO score improved immediately. So you can just look at the list of things and they'll pretty much tell you what it is that they want to want you to do to improve your FICO score. So if you want to establish a good credit rating, you know, paying your bills on time and look at your FICO score and, and see what they have to say, because you can be paying all of your bills on time. But if you have things like too many credit cards or if your credit card balance is too high, they will dock you with your FICO score. You say, well, that seems a little crazy because, you know, my credit limit may be like, you know, $10,000. I never see my credit limit. Well, they'll look at your credit limit. They'll say it's 10000 and you're always at like 9000 And they interpret that as uh, you're not as credit worthy. And they'll give you a lower FICO score. So it's a bit of a game. So just to read the rules of the game and play by the rules, uh, because you're not going to change it. That's just the way the FICO score works. It's, it's bigger than we are. Uh, and uh, and you can uh, you can you can improve it. Yeah. Now, is it true that you can have an open credit card and never use it and still be building credit? They want to see. And again, I I think it's good that I just make this disclaimer. I am I do not work uh, in the field of accounting or finance. I am a, a layperson when it comes to all of that. So. I won't be as knowledgeable, say, as some other folks might be. My impression, however, of a credit card is that you do build a credit to some degree just by having a credit card. But what they're really looking for is you actually have some charges on the card and you pay those charges on time and that you're not coming close to your credit limit all of the time. Those are the things that they look for. So say you have a $10,000 credit limit, you know, they want to see some activity on the card. And you know, you think about it, I mean, it's it's not to your detriment to have activity on the card. As long as you're paying it off on time, they're not charging you anything for the use of the card. You say, well, how do they make their money? It's from the folks who don't pay their credit cards on time. That's where they make their money. But you can certainly use a credit card uh, occasionally, pay it off on time. You're getting your credit rating up there, and you're not doing yourself any financial harm by uh, incurring needless expenses. You, you know, of course, you do pay uh, each year for like an annual fee. But if you shop around, uh, there are credit cards that have a zero annual fee, and there are all sorts of places where you can go to look at look at that sort of thing. I'm going to put in a plug right now for Consumer Reports. Uh, they 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 charge me the same for a subscription as they charge you. But what I like about Consumer Reports is that they do not collect money from advertisers. So the advice they give is free from that sort of outside influence. They have all sorts of information about all sorts of things. So I would say that's as close to the Bible as you can get when it comes to finances. And one thing they have is ratings of things like credit cards. So I would go there. I would, uh, in fact, you can subscribe to an online version of it. And you can just look up what they have to say about credit cards and you can get ratings of credit cards and you can make a decision as to the direction you might want to go. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. All right. So our next question is a little bit more of a sensitive one because there's probably quite a few of the listeners who are involved in these types of jobs. But especially for women, there's a lot of opportunities 
four jobs that you can do from home in your spare time by selling things to your network of family and friends. Are there any hazards that women should watch out for in these kinds of social networking jobs? Yeah, those are uh, really on the rise, aren't they? They are, you know, when it, when it speaks in Proverbs 31 about how Proverbs 31 a woman considers a field and buys it and you know, basically has her own little home cottage industry going, this is really multiplied. And uh, there's a lot of good that can come from it, but there, there are also some potential issues. For instance, I think one issue to be aware of is uh, potential for creating problems in your interpersonal relationships. When money is involved, if you're just giving something to someone, uh, people are happy to receive a gift. But if you're if money's involved, you know there may be a thing of well, I saw it for less somewhere else, or maybe it, it breaks, it doesn't hold up, and uh, you know there may be some some feelings that you'll ill will that arises. So I think that creating problems in interpersonal relationships that would be something that you, that you'd need to consider. You've got to be careful because uh, you know, I, I've known a women who say work selling a cosmetic line, people whom they approach about things, you've got to be careful because sometimes they will view you as, hey, they're just basically carrying along this relationship for what they can get out of it financially. So I think that that becomes a, a ticklish area. So we just have to handle it wisely and not to say it's the wrong thing to do, but there are a few few pitfalls to, to be aware of. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring out, especially in the church when you're looking at the congregation with dollar signs in your eyes as people that you can either sell things to or recruit for your home business. You know, I think you need to leave those business agendas at the door and come into the house of worship with that one main goal of worshiping the Lord and edifying the body of Christ and not looking at, you know, this opportunity to make money off of friends in the church. You know, I think that what you say, Christy, very wise. And you, we think back to uh, when uh, Jesus cleansed the temple because people were basically using the temple for their own fi- personal financial gain. You know, they were changing money or they were uh, selling animals for sacrifice. So I think we have to be careful because the spirit of someone who is coming to church with an eye toward who can I sell something to is in spirit doing the same sort of thing that the money changers were in Jesus' day. And he took a very dim view of that, basically stating that they had taken what was intended to be a house of worship and turned it into a, a, a den of thieves and robbers. Now, they, those folks were obviously charging excess fees and that sort of thing. And I'm, I wouldn't be accusing someone of doing that, but just got to be careful because people are sensitive about financial issues. And even though you may be very well intended, in your efforts to uh, carry things off in a very uh, appropriate way, people don't always interpret it in that fashion. And uh, you can ruin a relationship for a few dollars. So that just obviously is not an area in which we'd want to go. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like, like you mentioned, George, there are ways you could, you could do that. Well, especially there's women that might sell a particular 
beauty or, or health product. And they really do believe in the benefits of it because they've experienced it themselves and wanting others to have those same benefits, but just doing it in a tactful way that people know they're, that you're not leveraging their friendship in order for your own financial gain is really important. I think another possible temptation, and this would probably apply more to moms who are, you know, stay-at-home moms and they're trying to bring an extra income and they can, if they're successful and they are starting to bring in more money, they can put a premium on their business over their family. And that can apply to a working woman, you know, from home with any business, not just social networking type jobs, but knowing that, you know, keeping in mind that serving your family, doing the dishes, cleaning diapers, all that work is just as pleasing to the Lord as your vocational work. So not raising one up above the other. You know, when you're bringing in money, it can feel like that's the more important job that you're doing, but not sacrificing the needs of your family, your kids, your husband to a job that you feel like you're you're tied to. So and you're, really, that's becoming an issue for both men and women as we pass through the COVID pandemic where many more people are now working from home. It becomes an issue of where does work end and home begin? Because you're at home all the time and uh, you, know, it's, uh, you, have, you really do need to take off one hat and put on another hat. You know, the workday ends. We're now going to do family things. And of course, as the, the role of the wife, Scripture says nothing about having another job. There's no prohibition against that in the slightest, whether it be a job in the home or outside the home. What Scripture says is that the priority of the woman is to be the home uh, as a wife. That is to be her priority. And if she can manage that as well as do other things, whether it's something in the home, a home business, whether it's even a business outside the home, go for it. Now, I think most women find that when their children are young, it's difficult to be working outside the home, certainly in a time-consuming way. I mean, some women, you know, they're, they're nurses or they're, uh, they have jobs where they can't just stop doing it for several years and they have to continue with continuing education, things of that type. But I, I think one just has to, be, has to be careful about that sort of thing. You have to be able to say, okay, here's work and here is what I need to do at home, and the home is my priority. And so I need to make certain that it comes first. Yeah, that's really, really helpful insights there. So I think we have enough time, George, to go into some of those extra questions that I had. I'll go ahead and just go into the retirement question, and then we'll end with giving and tithing. And then if we have time for the bonus question on time management. Um, we'll, we'll hit that one as well. You know, the question, should I be saving for retirement? The answer is absolutely. And, and why should you be saving for retirement? Well, first of all, it may not, retirement may come a lot sooner than you think. You know, you may find yourself with an illness, you may find yourself without a job. So I think it always is good to have a rainy day fund. And I've uh, read a number of people who say it should be three months of living expenses. Uh, in an account that's readily accessible. So something that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be at a bank, but like a mutual fund, there are all sorts of mutual funds. Mutual fund is just a way of buying a lot of stocks by just investing your money with the mutual fund. Then you can get your money out of it easily. 
You can put money into it. You don't have to buy a stock and sell it and go through a broker, all that stuff. Just a mutual fund. So that's become extremely popular. So I think that uh, if we're going to be saving for retirement, first of all, use a budget that frees up money to be saved. And we talked about setting aside that money at the first of your pay period. When you get your paycheck, money for the Lord and money for saving. So, and I would put it in something like a mutual fund. That money tends to grow maybe 10% a year, year over year. So uh, a good way to save for retirement. Also, if your company has a 401k plan, 401k is uh, just, it's a, a thing where your business puts in a certain amount of money and you put in, uh, and you put in a certain amount of money, they'll match what you put in. And that money accumulates tax-free. You'll eventually pay tax on it when you take it out. But if your company has free money, if they're offering you free money, by all means, take it. Now, they, you do have to invest in what investment vehicle they're using, but usually it's fine. And that's uh, so if you have an opportunity like that, definitely take advantage of it. So how should you be saving for retirement? Use a budget to free up money that you can save and then put that money into something like a mutual fund. Don't put it into the savings account of the bank. That money earns maybe less than 1% a year. Inflation rate is about 3% a year. So that means that you're losing about 2% of the value each and every year. You know, Go in the backyard and put it in a hole. It's, it's almost the same thing. So obviously, that's not the right way to go. And I would, I would shoot for about three months worth of savings that you can readily access. Now, obviously, if you're saving for retirement, you want to save for more than just three months. But uh, you'd, you'd want to have it at least three months of it in a place where you can get to it easily. And something like a mutual fund not only tends to earn good, a uh, good rate of return in terms of a long-term way to invest your money, but it's also something that you can take money out of fairly easily to use for an emergency that pops up. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep some money in a checking account, but in a checking account, your money earns essentially zero. Uh, with this other, you can let your money work for you. And, uh, you know, now things you should be thinking about, I, you know, as you're, if you're thinking, well, maybe I'm going to have to provide myself for the rest of my life. And one thing is that God has promised to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that's Philippians 4.19. Also, we're commanded to be anxious for nothing in Philippians 4.6. So, you know, you're going to provide for yourself. Don't be anxious about it. The Lord is going to take care of of you in that. So these are just some things to be thinking about as you uh, as you begin to think about saving for the future, saving for either retirement or just saving for an emergency that might pop up. Yeah, thank you for that encouragement. Well, we talked about saving, so now switching gears to giving. Can you explain what giving and tithing looks like practically and how we can cultivate our attitudes to become cheerful givers and not giving begrudgingly? Well, tithing is uh, tithing essentially means giving 10% of something. And I think a lot of people today are under the impression that giving 10% of what they earn to the work of the Lord is a good thing. And I'm not disputing that at all. But it's not a scriptural command. Uh, I mean, if you go back to ancient Israel and you look at the amount of tithing that was done, an Israelite paid two and a third tithes per year. So that's about 23.3333% 
of their income was given as a tithe. And that tithe went to the priest. The priests were in charge of the government of the country. And so that basically was your income tax. You paid 23 and a third percent income tax. It's what we call a flat, a flat rate. Everybody paid the same percent of income tax. That is what a tithe was. People gave tithes. They were commanded to give tithes. You had to give a tithe. But what they also would do is something called free will giving, where you just gave as the Lord put on your heart. And that, when, they, when Paul speaks of giving in the New Testament, that is what he's speaking of, free will giving. So if you look at passages like 1 Corinthians 6 or 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul is speaking of things like giving purposefully, giving cheerfully, giving regularly, giving in proportion to what the Lord has given you, and giving secretly. These pertain to our free will giving. So what does tithing look like practically? Well, tithing, we don't tithe. But what we do is we make free will offerings to the Lord. And what should that look like? It should be done purposefully. I was speaking earlier, set aside money to be given to the Lord's work. It should be done cheerfully. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And if you're not going to give cheerfully, what does it say? Don't even bother to give. I mean, the Lord owns a cattle in a thousand hills. He's got plenty of money. Maybe he does not need money that comes from someone who does not have a cheerful heart. Now you say, well, how can I cultivate a cheerful heart? You know, you need to, first of all, what has the Lord done for you? I mean, just consider that. What do we have that was not given to us? We have nothing. So I think just reflecting on that, reading some passages that relate to that, having a correct view of things, uh, the attributes of God, how he is so generous, just not only in terms of forgiving us our sins, in terms of saving us through the uh, gift of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, but just in terms of sustaining us each and every day, giving us enough food to eat, giving us health giving us so many things. So in view of all that, we should delight to give to the Lord. So giving purposefully, cheerfully, regularly. Uh, so regularly, I mean, each and every week uh, at church, there is uh, usually an opportunity to give. Nowadays, we, we've been doing it online because of this, the various pandemic restrictions. Also, Paul speaks of giving in proportion to what the Lord has given you. Meaning, hey, if you, uh, if you have a tremendous amount that uh, financial blessings from the Lord, you're obviously going to want to give a greater amount than someone who doesn't have a lot. That's something that I, I often hear. It's uh, like, I have essentially no money. Should I be giving anything? Well, just remember the widow and the two mites that she gave, she had nothing, but she gave sacrificially. So uh, people say, well, maybe I'll just give up my time. I think that's great. I think we should all be giving up our time. But I think we should also be giving of our money. Maybe we don't have a lot. Give something. Give something. And what does it say in Scripture? It says, as you give, so it will be given to you. So I, I, I always remember the Lord's promise. He will supply your needs in Christ Jesus for every good work. So if you have something in mind that is uh, in accordance with the will of the Lord, he's going to supply your needs to allow you to accomplish that. So give something, give, give your talents of time, but give your talents of money 
as well. And, and also secretly, you know, and, you know, I think that's not so much nowadays that we you know, write a check and we wave it around and, and put it in the collection plan. But uh, we, you know, it's, we just have to keep that attitude in mind that our giving is not for the benefit of others around us so to know so that we can esteem ourselves in their eyes. So what does it say in scripture? If, if you do that, that is your reward. The Lord's not going to reward you. You've had your reward. Instead, we're, we're to do so in, a, in an appropriate way. Those are just some things to think about. And, and again, God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So we need to cultivate an attitude. And I tell you, if you put on cheerfulness, you will find your heart following in that direction. So put it on. Put on a smile. Think of all the Lord has given for you, to you, and give back to the Lord. I mean, certainly if you look throughout scripture, it speaks of first fruit offerings, giving the best to the Lord. Uh, certainly in, in the time of the Exodus, it was the firstborn that the Lord required as a sacrifice. And so he, he wants the first fruits. He wants the first. He wants to be first in our hearts because money is not a good taskmaster. If you worship money, a horrific decision. You can't serve God and mammon, it says, money. So serve the Lord, because if you're not a cheerful giver, what does that say? It generally says that something else is an idol in your heart. You're idolizing that whatever it is, that money, that, uh, that treasure here on earth. God won't have, uh, won't have good things to say about that. We need to worship God. And that's one of the ways that we can assure that we're worshiping God. Hold on to things lightly, you know. God gave it to you. It's not yours in the first place. Give it back to the Lord. And it's that attitude that you can foster by giving generously to the work of the Lord. You can help keep your mind in the right place that we're here to worship God for such a short period of time. We're going to be spending eternity and uh, in the presence of the Lord. So let's do things on earth that allow us to lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. Wow, that was powerful. Thank you, George. I think in addition to people tithing regularly to the church, one thing that I would encourage listeners to do as well is to personally support missionaries above and beyond your normal tithing. I think the benefit of that is that you are going to be invested in the, the work that they're doing on the mission field. You'll be a little more proactive in reading the newsletters and supporting them and maybe even visiting them in their work uh, where they're serving. I think there's some, maybe a little bit of a temptation for people to, you know, just do their giving quickly to the Lord, to the church and kind of checking it off the list, but not, you know, going beyond that. And I think when you're supporting missionaries individually, you know, you're just going to be very invested in what they're doing and what the Lord's doing through them on the mission field and give you more of a appreciation, I guess, for what God is doing around the world. Absolutely. What a privilege it is to be able to give to the missionaries. I mean, because you, you have a chance to share in their experience. I mean, after all, what, why does God have us here on earth? What are the things that we are, we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven? Well, one of those things is evangelism. And one of the great ways to do evangelism is through our missionaries. Support a missionary. You may not be able to go to, uh, you know, Burundi and preach the gospel to people, but you can support someone who is, you can share in their experiences, you can pray for them, 
and you will receive blessing and, and you will receive credit in heaven for that. So I think that's just a great idea. Plus, missionaries are some of the neatest people. And I got to tell you, after speaking with a missionary, it, I always feel rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you see the sorts of things that they go through, uh, I realize just how much I am blessed. And that gives me contentment. Wow, that's such a gift, the gift of contentment, to be content in where you are. So uh, it's, it's all there. Support your missionaries. That's a, that's a very good way. And thank you for that encouragement. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, George, I have a bonus question for you. It's not related to finances, but it's just something that you are known for. You're a very busy man. You're, you know, you teach the premarital class. You also have a full-time job. And so how do you manage your time and do it well? And can you give someone a tip in this area if they're struggling with time management? A single word, use a calendar, 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 calendar. And I don't mean just for every, you know, like, what what am I doing on June 8th, 2024? It's like for each and every day, I tend to, uh, I'm a big list maker. Uh, I've got a list of things that I need to accomplish. Also, I would say this, be careful about multitasking. And I find that if I multitask too much, I end up not doing anything well. But I think if you have a calendar, if you kind of know what it is that you need to accomplish or you'd like to accomplish in a day, that helps you because you'll find you've got a little time here, a little time there. You can get those things done, or maybe you can uh, ask someone else to do it for you. I love to check things off. And so I, I use my own little calendars. I, I run things off my iPhone. I have my calendar on my iPhone or my computer home. So at the beginning of each day, I basically compile a list of all the things that I need to do. And I sort of carry that around with me. And I just sort of check things off as I go along. Also, you pray, pray for time management. Pray the Lord would multiply your time. But yeah, that's a, you ask for one tip. That's my tip. Thank you so much, George. Such rich information, no pun intended. <laughs> and I just know this is going to be a benefit to the listeners as they strive to be better stewards with the resources that God has given them for his glory and for the benefit of others. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, that was so well done. You're an excellent host. And I I trust that will be of some help to your listeners.